Hello, welcome to the Kindness Chef podcast. I am your host, Harpal Dutt. Today's episode is called Sitting With. This is a longer, deeper conversation where I interview a different guest, where we create a recipe to nourish your mind, body and soul. Hello, uh, welcome Jyoti, Jyoti Balani to the Kindness Chef podcast. I'm really delighted to have you here today to talk about courage. Um, I just want to introduce you to begin with. So we connected through Fempeak, where you're the technology advisor in Sherpani. You attended one of my sessions and, you know, we made a connection through kindness. And now we're working together on a project. And you are the MD of FreshRiver.ai which focuses on building custom human-centered enterprise-grade conversational bots that generate economic and brand value while being emotionally intelligent. So there's a lot of words there. And I love how you, when you talk to me about what you do, you say that I do AI and EI. Can you tell me? Because I I think that's great. And, you know, your EI has three components. So if I've missed anything else out, um, you know, please introduce yourself. No, you've done perfect. And thank you for the opportunity to come in and speak. I think your work is tremendous. And what really attracted me to the, the field that you're pursuing is of kindness and empathy is really what I've been looking for to say, how do we get the emotional intelligent part uh, of AI and data science really injected together to fuse them, right? Which is, I'm really excited for the work that we'll be doing together. So introductions, absolutely right. Um, I've uh, started, I started the consultancy three years ago because A, I wanted to really build something special from the ground up as we enter the age of automation. Uh, it's already here. Um, and part of what's been happening over the last couple of years as the technology has gotten better, uh, where artificial intelligence is now finding its way into mainstream uh, commercial applications. But, you know, as with everything else, it's not perfect. And one of the things that I've seen, some of the things go wrong uh, is where it hurts the human condition. And that is not acceptable. And so what I have made a mission out of this is to say, that as I build out the consultant practice that we've got to help enterprises really think through how to deploy AI and leverage data uh, in order to really meet, which are largely the capitalistic goals, right? Um, The money-making model, uh, improving customer experience. uh, So it's really the top line, the bottom line, but to do it with emotional intelligence and not just emotional intelligence into the machines, but humans that have emotional intelligence to build it because you know you have to be emotionally intelligent in order to teach machines to be emotionally intelligent right so that's really the fundamental foundation upon which i founded fresh river and so the goals around what fresh river does is strategy delivery and training so you know you're part of uh, the program that we are running as well where you're a mentor for folks that want to get into the field you know, what is kindness and empathy uh, at the heart of it? And how do we inject it into these AI systems that we're building that are going to be serving the human? So that's really the positioning that I've got and that's what I'm aiming for. 
uh, is to really get kindness as at the forefront for people who build these systems, if that makes sense. Yeah. And uh, just to confirm, when you talk to me about AI and EI, were you talking about the emotionally intelligent, economically intelligent and ethically intelligent? Because I think that is correct. You know, it's very unusual. That is Uh, correct. So EI, uh, when I laid the foundation about three years ago, I said the place I want to work at is the intersection of AI and EI. And if you think about EI, it's really the three E's, right? It's the economic, which is really the the capitalistic. How do you create real real value with the the money-minded world that we live in? That's the reality of the system we're in. And I'm all into it, right? So you've got economic, you've got emotional, which is how do you make sure that we are thinking about the human condition as we build these AI systems and the ethical. So when we talk about ethics, which has been you know, talked about for the last couple of years. And, you know, there are some disturbing trends where I'm seeing big technology firms actually throw that to the wayside um, because they are more worried about the economic aspects of getting this technology out and really making money on this, right? And that's where power is. I totally understand that. But you cannot do it at the expense of ethics um, and the emotional uh, intelligence that's required. So for me, these three E's are equally connected. And anybody who works on these systems uh, really has to consider all three aspects of it. So the economic, the emotional, and the ethical. And, you know, what you're doing is very courageous. So the reason I invited you here today to talk about courage is because I think you've said that, you know, when you when I've seen you on some of your FemPeak um, live mentorship sessions, you talk about the courage to say yes, I think, you know, and... So I think about, you know, how can we have the courage to say yes to what's important to us? Um, You know, that's what I'd like to discuss today. And I see that you are a role model in this field because, you know, age of automation, AI is very big. You've kind of highlighted the importance to me. I didn't realize, you know, what's happening and I've become a bit more educated because of your insights. And, you know, this takes courage because, um, you know, you are, you are taking responsibility for something that other people at the moment, they don't see the perhaps value of in empathy and ethics. And, you know, you've been working in technology field for a while where it's quite difficult as well to have the courage when we're looking at capitalism and economic um, like money, but, you know, without the humans, how are they going to make money? So um, exactly right. Yeah. So how, how do you, like, what does courage mean to you? How do you define courage? So it's got, it's multifaceted, right? It's got really different dimensions to it. So the courage to have a voice, right? You, and I have learned from you as well, is finding your voice, which I found three years ago. You know, I was in corporate for a little over 20 years. Uh, I grew up as a software engineer. Uh, did product development work, uh, did marketing. So I pivoted all throughout my life. One of the central tenets that I was taught by all my mentors, starting from my father uh, to my husband to some of the wonderful mentors I've had, my, the C-levels, the CEOs and the COOs and the CTOs that took me under their wing and, and taught me that, you know, here's a platform for you to speak um, your ideas. Now, you know, being a, a woman and a woman of color and an immigrant, right? You can you can imagine sort of some of the things that were stacked up. But I have been blessed um, to 
see the way of courage. And you know, a lot of people talk about it being a man's world, right? Uh, relative to the system we've lived in. Uh, and I do appreciate the teachings that I get on how men are normally wired to be courageous. Uh, I'll give you an example. Um, so for every job that I took in my corporate life uh, that I questioned myself, my husband would say, um, of course you can do it. You can figure it out, right? You don't need to be have 100% of everything that they're asking for. You just need, and I, I now use this for my own mentor uh, mentorship programs is, Look at the top three things that they need. Everything else you're going to learn because what's the point of going into a job that you know 100% of? Where's your growth going to come from? So knowing that helped me be courageous that A, I can do what I put my mind to. I can figure it out. So having the confidence with what I know and having the confidence to know what I don't know, but be confident that I can figure it out. Right. So to me, that's the courage that comes from trusting yourself. That's the inner courage. The outer courage is being able to speak in front of folks that are powerful, uh, you know, with money and with influence, but being able to articulate it. So I always tell people, uh, you know what you know and you know what you don't know. And being honest about that is really important. But surrounding yourself with people that teach you that also is courage. It's about managing your ego. So there's an ego portion to that as well that allows you to be courageous to say, I don't know everything and I need help. And I believe that what I know, what my superpowers are and what your superpowers are and what another person's superpowers are, we can create collectively something new and braver for the world, right? To make an impact. So the facets have gone from inner courage to outer courage and then the courage to go speak to other folks to explain that this is important you know you mentioned the fact that ai has been an underlying current that is going underneath us and a lot of people don't realize everything from social media to the movies we watch to the food we eat to the people we date everything is being run by AI, machine learning engines, deep learning engines that are constantly watching what we are doing, what we're selecting, and keeping us glued to our media devices and the content that we're consuming. So the courage to tell folks, wake up and don't be a slave to technology. You have to control technology, not the other way around. And a lot of people look at me sometimes and go, uh, either I didn't know that or no, you're wrong because, you know, there's a way to make money. And I said, yeah, yes, you can make your money, but have the courage to think about yourself first. Don't be a slave. So those are three dimensions. And I always unfold them as we go along as, you know, people come to me with issues on saying, you know, I'm not, I don't think I can do this, right? I'm intimidated by technology. And I want to share my courage with them to say, if I could do it, so can you, right? So that's how I tend to think about courage from different dimensions. Um, I don't know if there's other aspects that you've seen that have courage around them as well. Um, well, I went on Google, our friend Google, and uh, the basic definition I found about courage, a simple one is, you know, the ability to do something you know is difficult or dangerous. But the one I think you're going to like is the second one I found, which is um, 
It talks about courage, about having the mental or moral strength to venture, persevere, and withstand danger, fear, or difficulty. So, um, you know, what I think is interesting here is talking about the moral strength. And, uh, you know, what we've been talking about is fear and difficulty. So a lot of um, this feeling can make us freeze or, you know, the freeze flight. Um, I can't think of the second one. Fight or flight. Yeah, yeah response flight, state. Yes. So, you know, it can feel, um, I mean, you, you appear to be so confident and courageous, but, you know, you're human. So I'm sure right. you have these <laughs> feelings as well. Where, Absolutely. you know, you feel fear, you feel some anxiety, some stress, some difficulty, but, you know, have you been able to be with those feelings and, you know, recognize that, you know, you've also talked about you go out and ask for help and support. Yeah, I feel it. I, you know, three years ago before I ventured out to creating my own company, um, I would have fear all the time and anxiety because there was a bar always being set and judgment that was coming from people of power who had the, the ability to fire you and, and you know, basically dictate what you, how you live, right? And so uh, I actually went through a period of very high anxiety uh, near depression because uh, I did not want to work in you know, conditions where I was not allowed to be free. And when I watched things that I didn't agree with uh, that were not ethical, it really bothered me. And so it took me some time to overcome. Uh, did, I do a lot of reading. Um, I, I started on a more of a spiritual path about 10, 12 years ago when I found myself just you know, sort of stuck saying, you know, is this really what life is? You work, you eat, you sleep, you wake up, you raise kids, right? And I read books, I had total strangers give but it's amazing the universe sort of puts people in your path and I didn't realize at the time that that's the case but there have been wonderful folks just strangers that you know you feel comfortable sharing what you wouldn't share with people that you know and there was a book uh, called being nobody going nowhere uh, it's, it's a book by a lady um, uh, called Aya Kema uh, she's a holocaust she was a holocaust survivor and she wrote it very simply around uh, kindness um, and compassion for yourself. And I discovered the word equanimity uh, through those readings. Uh, I've also read um, you know, books on uh, Paul Coheo. Um, so these are things that are answers that come to you when you're seeking. Um, and about three years ago, when I was really trying to find you know, how to overcome my fear of what I, I, wasn't, I wasn't afraid of a thing. I think I was afraid of not having something to believe in. And I found a book that I had purchased 10 years prior and I never read it because I couldn't understand it at that time, but it's called The Power of Now um, by Eckhart Tolle. And I said, and I read that every day, uh, a few pages at a time and something clicked, something that was so simple about it, something about, you know, when you put your thoughts out with authenticity, um, the fear just melts away. It just melted away. And I took the first step and the next step. And before I knew it, there were things that were just flowing. Um, you know, I, I used to be a very, you know, structured person. Like I got to make lists and write down one, two, three, I'm going to do this, this, and this. And I would get things done, but it was with a lot of anxiety and pressure on myself and expectation. 
And what I discovered is you just flow. You just let the universe decide. And there's doors that close that are supposed to close uh, and the doors, because the right door is waiting for you. And that's what I really believe. So there are things that didn't line up for me early on because I was meant to come do this. And I, I'm not a very religious person, but I am very spiritual. I do believe that there is a power and there's an energy source that connects all of us. Um, and that's really what helps me overcome my fear and also the trust that I place in others inherently. I say trust is the new um, currency because money has been a currency for a long time. And unfortunately, if you only put that as your currency, it creates all this negativity around you, right? That's fear and anxiety. Uh, not that I was ever, you know, always running after money. I now have a very clear sense of what it means to be a capitalist, but a human first capitalist, right? I know how to make money and I know how to help others make money, but I will do it in a way that puts humans first. So by having this change in mindset has really made me have the courage to go, I will, I will go ask for it because it will line up and the wrong things will fall to the wayside. So if I, if I don't get something that I thought I wanted, I say there's a reason for that and I move on. So there's this shift in perspective that allows people. And then the word equanimity has stayed with me all these years because equanimity is, you know, high, you know, you, if you have too high, you come back to center. If you're too low, you come back to center. So through meditation and mindfulness, finding your center to always go, I'm not saying I'm perfect, that it works every time, but I know it's there, right? So just the awareness of it. So that's how I manage my fear. But a lot of people tell me, yo, you're so confident. You know, I said, I'm confident about what I know but I'm also confident about things I don't know, but I know how to go find them. I will go seek someone out like yourself to say, I need help. I don't know. How do we build this house of emotional and ethical intelligence? How do we teach people to be kind and empathetic to each other? Because only when we are kind and empathetic to each other as humans, can we teach these machines to serve us? That's, that's how I think about it. And then I don't question. And I will just go ask, because what's the worst somebody will say if you ask somebody something, they'll say, no, that's okay. I wasn't meant to get the answer from them, perhaps, right? So that's how I tend to think of things. And I find, you know, sometimes some of us struggle asking for what we want. And I'd say this is courageous as well. You know, yes. knowing what we want and what we need. This is, sometimes we don't know. And um, we don't know, that's correct. Um, we have to go on the journey, perhaps to connect with our feelings and our body, to see what feels right, doesn't feel right, what's affecting our energy. Um, why, why do you think we need courage? And do you think this is something that we need now more than, we, than before? Or you know, is this something quite important right now? It is. And you know, it goes back to something that you had shared with me, um, the, the gentleman who's written the book Exponential, right, Azim Azhar. Um, as I go through that, and thank you for that, because uh, folks like him are putting a lot of perspective on where the world is headed and what is actually going on around us that we cannot see. These are intangibles that are occurring around us. So folks are not aware that these things are going to impact their livelihoods, their lives, because we have to be able to move 
uh, alongside these changes. And the scary part is the rate at which the world is changing is unfathomable. It, that, that rate has never been before, it's unprecedented. And the fact that we are oblivious to it is what makes it very dangerous. So if you think about the age of automation that's upon us, people's jobs are going away. And if they don't reskill and upskill to be ready for that, they're going to be left behind economically, which is gonna be very devastating. So through the industrial revolutions that have occurred over generations, right, for the last couple of year, hundred years, right, the, the, the changes in the political, the social uh, norms, right, they've all, climate as well now, right, they're all really interconnected. And so it's the awareness and the sharing of these ideas like we do, for example, of these podcasts or the events that, you know, all of us do, it's about sharing that awareness and letting people know you have the ability to go reskill yourself, to be aware of that, right? Because there's a lot of noise in the world. You know, uh, information, the information age is both good and bad because A, we have information that everybody has equitable access to. The problem is there's too much of it. How do you consume and digest? So the pathways that we are creating such as work that you do, the work that Fempeak is doing, the work that I'm doing, there's actually people emerging as the next generation that's creating pathways of information that are getting to people who, are, who don't know it and who are seeking it. So as the world really, I'm saying the next five years, even the next two years are very crucial because jobs that are going away, which are the economic foundation, right, for financial security, they're going to go away. Governments are not going to catch up so fast. The political system will not catch up so fast. Tech is so far ahead. It's up to each individual human to find their place and to ensure that they will be relevant in the years to come. And doesn't matter your color, your age, doesn't matter the, dem the demographic, doesn't matter, geography doesn't matter because it's impacting everybody equally. And um, the work that you're doing with uh, conversational AI, as an example, you said, you know, you've been doing this role for the last three years and it's a new role. So this takes courage as well for, you know, the people like you talk about, not everybody needs to know technology. So... Uh, to do some of these new roles where there isn't enough, um, there aren't enough people skilled in these roles. And it takes courage to kind of, you know, be seen, to stand out, to take on a role that they don't fully exist. And, you know, we have to move quite quickly to learn the skills. That's quite courageous. And, you know, everything is not written or so clear. Um, it takes a lot of courage, but also I think, you know, there will be rewards. It will be. So, you know, I have shared with people, you know, having been through the system myself, um, education, hiring, recruiting is very, very broken uh, to the point where I realized that there is no university you can go to to learn the holistic skills you need. You know, you can go get a master's in data science and data analytics at one of the top universities. But once you emerge, you say, well, how do I connect the dots to what enterprises need? right? You talk about uh, education. So what I realized is 
through my own journey, and I, you know, I'm a self-proclaimed queen of pivots, uh, as you know, right, with the, the series that I run, because my goal is to make humans understand that you have the ability to pivot into the roles, given three things. I usually look, when I hire for my team, I look for three things, integrity, the right kind of empathy, and the fire in the belly for you to learn and solve problems. That's all I need. And built on top of that, I can teach any other skills. I can teach conversation design, uh, developer skills. Um, how do you do architecture work? How do you do QA work, right? All those skills are teachable, but the intangible skills of integrity, empathy, and you know, having that fire in your belly, you say, I wanna learn. I don't have it in my belly wick to do that. So at least I can get folks that are ready and who believe in the framework and have the courage to take my hand when I say, come with me, okay? I can show you the pathway. And I'm also building the pathways to the enterprises that need the help. They're struggling too. They don't know how to get conversational AI systems, for example, integrated so they can see ROI. That's where the economics come in, right? So I say, look, I can show you the way on how to create economic value and brand value from this technology. And I can give you folks that know how to do it. So it's a supply and demand. I, I joke with people, I'm like the narcos of conversational AI. That's where I'm headed, right? I've got the supply and the demand. But in actual fact, there is a social underlying current that's at the back of my mind. Because at the end of the day, you know, when three years ago, I laid the foundation for the company. I said, this has got to be for humans, by humans, off humans, right? What is my impact? What's the legacy that I'm going to be leaving behind, you know, as I help? So the, the courage to say, um, trust me, but I, I do as I say, uh, not just say what I do. And by showing people the vulnerability, right? I talk about the anxiety period of my life. I talk openly about that because we're all human. And we all go through these things. And if you see somebody overcome something uh, and they are vulnerable, you know that you can do it. So how do you inspire a human being to move from one place to another? So I never dictate to anybody saying, oh, well, you know what? You should do exactly that role. My goal is to share knowledge, training, and let people find their pathways help them discover their superpowers because only when you discover your own superpowers and you see the possibilities and you have the courage to take the first step and the next step, you will find your place in the age of automation for what you love to do. Because at the end of the day, what does work mean to any of us? It's dignity, right? And of course, economic security. So the jobs that are paying the most are in the AI and data science space. You know, I've shared that openly with folks. There was a point, I think it was late last year, I had 10 jobs that were coming at me for conversational AI. I put a post on LinkedIn and I said, I've got 10 jobs. I can make warm introductions. DM me if you can. I had nobody. So I said, there's something wrong with this. Is it a courage issue? Is it that they don't know where to start? Right. So by having conversations, I have one on one conversations with every single person that reaches out to me and I say, tell me your story. I listen to their story and 
I can see things that they have not seen. I hold up a mirror and I go, well, do you realize that you are capable of doing X, Y, Z? And I, you can sense when somebody has that integrity, they, they're empathetic, you know? Um, I don't know whether it's a psychological thing. I'm not a psychologist, I'm not trained by any means, but there's something that happens when somebody has the courage to tell you their story, right? When I, when I, when I share my vulnerability, they share theirs and I go, you know, you're on the right path. You would be ideal to do this because you've got that empathy, you've got the integrity, you've demonstrated it, and you are hungry to learn and solve problems, right? At that point, I go, you know what? You're in. I, I don't do anything else. I've changed the way I think about interviewing folks, or I don't even call it interviews. I'm like, just tell me your story. Forget the resume. That's just, you know, one asset. So there's so many dimensions of courage into that. And so I want to share the spark of courage with someone by sharing my story so that spark catches on. And so, you know, spreading as a network effect into the spark that, you know, runs through and it grows faster so we can get people to the destinations of the age of automation. And uh, what is conversational AI? Because some listeners might not know what that is. And also I want to ask you a little bit about data science. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I have another question to put you on the spot. Maybe I should hold it. But, you know, there's also, you know, there's kind of one type of profile of person and, um, you know, diversity and inclusion. And you're trying to encourage anyone who's interested, but especially people that are not represented. Correct, exactly right. And why, why, why is that important? What's going to happen to our data? Yes, that's a fantastic question. So let me start with the first one, right? What is conversational AI? So if you think about artificial intelligence as a general field, right? It was uh, invented, created in the 1950s, okay? Where the question was asked, could we train machines to be intelligent, right? And to do some of the work, if you think about the cartoons like Jetsons, et cetera, right? Um, At the time, the technologies that enabled AI were still pretty nascent. If you think about compute and storage, right? Processing power. And so AI through the decades went through its highs and lows. And I remember when I did my undergrad in computer science, I did a, a project for optical character recognition, right? Uh, where how do you read um, structured data or unstructured data and recognize? It was actually in Arabic at that time. Um, so I remember being part of that evolution. And what I realized three years ago, the reason why AI took off is because compute and storage got cheaper and more available. And as part of that, um, what was also beginning to emerge is speech recognition. So there were automatic speech recognition is, can a machine listen to human speech and convert it into text? So there were multitude of technology innovations that arrived. And then of course with cloud. So if you think about the, the cloud computing, the internet having come in, um, AI systems getting stronger, algorithms, more complex algorithms being able to run faster, started to get people more interested in this in commercial applications. And one of the branches called conversational AI began to take hold just a few years ago. And what that means is, can we create AI-enabled systems that humans can speak to, to get their work done and play, work and play, 
versus humans. So I'll give you an example, contact centers, right? Where we as customers call in, be it airline or hotel, we typically wanna to talk to a human that they are contact center agents. Those systems, be them speech or chat, you know, you can go to a website and you can, you can chat to a human. Replacing part of what the human does to serve the customer is really what conversational AI is about as one application. There's many applications, but as an example, could we take mundane work? Could we take the work that is repetitive and get a machine to do it so that the human is freed up to do more complex, productive, fulfilling work, okay? That's really the base promise of conversational AI. But of course, you've got the economics of it, right? Can we take costs out of the system? Uh, we wanna be able to not hire as many agents. And in the age of the great resignation, there are places that you cannot even hire agents. And so now we're having to put machines in there to converse with humans. And these machines are powered by AI, which are machine learning algorithms, deep learning algorithms. Some of them are getting so sophisticated, they are learning from the conversations the humans are feeding them and teaching themselves, right? So you say, okay, that sounds pretty good if we can get our questions answered quickly about stuff we don't want to be engaging with the human. You're in and you're out or you're not waiting in line, right? On hold for hours at end. That sounds pretty good. But then look at the impact of that particular use case. Those agents are gonna lose their jobs or there won't be enough agents finding jobs. So part of what I'm doing is I'm actually having those agents retrained as conversation designers. Right? So that's one sort of example of how to get people that are going to be replaced by machines coming in, right? Data. So what has data got to do with conversational AI, right? So I, the way I put it is data fuels AI and AI fuels data. What that means is these AI systems, conversational AI systems have to be taught how to recognize what a human says. So we're feeding it data that either exists from human to human conversations or we're feeding them synthetic data. So they begin to learn and understand when they're deployed out in the field, what the human is saying. You say, okay, that sounds pretty good. It's like you know teaching an infant. I always tell people, if you think about conversational AI, they're like these little um, infants that you can conceive that AI virtual beings that have to be care and fed for for a very long time so they can go from being infants to toddlers, to tweens, to teenagers. The, the highest level, I would say the best systems that we've been able to deploy based on work that we do are toddlers, but the technology is not standing still. It is getting better and better the more data it eats. So it's actually a long game in order to recognize ROI, but through this game of raising, we would not teach toddlers bad words, would we? Uh, would we teach them to do the bad things? You wouldn't. It's the same thing. That data has to be clean. It has to be cleaned of ethical issues, of bias. Because if you think about how long we've been collecting data, it's been a good 10, 20, 30 years. And we all know that there's bias in things like who gets approved for a mortgage loan? Uh, who gets to be on food stamps? There's stories galore out there 
on where people have been thrown off their benefits, off their food stamp programs. These are the low economic communities and they have no recourse. Why? Because whoever installed it gave the full power for the machine to make decisions. You can't do that. You have to have oversight by the humans. This is about the master-servant relationship, right? Right now, there's a lot where AI has been given too much power. So the data is the lifeblood that's really feeding these AI beings. And us humans have the responsibility in making sure that that data, that blood is clean. Otherwise, it will really become toxic and it will not be serving humans. Did I answer your your yes, question? I think you've given our listeners a lot of information there and, you know, a very good summary about what's happening. So if they don't know, I think they need to wake up and listen to what you've got to say. Um, so um, how would you define kindness and, you know, what, why is that important to you? So for me, the, the kindness comes from the fact that having been in um, the corporate world, uh, it, is, it is pretty brutal. It can get, I've been through some very happy places where they were the best cultural, you know, areas and jobs that I had that I was into toxicity. And I'm not going to name any names, but um, through those experiences one of the things when I when I exited to start my own company I said we have to be kind to each other um, because we all have one life to live and money you know it is extremely important financial security all of that but it cannot be at the cost of the way we treat each other you know we see what social media has done uh, it has torn us apart more than it's brought us together ironically right it was meant to you know uh, uh, create more community, uh, but there's more loneliness, uh, there's more hatred. But the good news is, by being human again, by being kind, we can actually make a bigger impact than if we let tech tear us apart. So it begins with simple acts of kindness. So for me, it's everybody, I feel everybody has limited resources relative to time, energy, and space. You can be kind to yourself first by protecting that because nobody else will protect those three things about you. Those are your precious limited resources. And then kindness to respect that for others, others' time, others' space, others' energy, right? And making sure you can harness your own positive energy and make sure you can control your own ego right? Because that's just a natural part of who we are, is can you harness your own energy for positive and manage your negative, right? Be it fear or anxiety. Um, you know, there's difficult situations where people have to make decisions about hiring and firing and choosing or not choosing. And so going back to the question around the underserved communities, the kindness comes from the fact that very few of us have been given the opportunity. We've been blessed to be part of um, money-making opportunities, right? I grew up as a software engineer because my dad said, hey, you know what? Computer science is growing. You should do it. So it's through his thinking of the future that he put me on that path, right? And then I went along my journey where people taught me things, right? Because I asked. 
but there's a wide swath of people, be it women, folks from the LGBTQ community, the lowest socioeconomic uh, background folks, right? And if I think about politically just in the US and I'm sure it's, it's true across the world, the chasm between the folks that have enjoyed privilege, not through just being born into it, but being in the right place at the right time, be it technology, whatever the case might be, to those that are not. So what I'm trying to do is bridge that chasm through kindness. Because if you say to somebody, I will help you, I will give you a hand, and the only thing I ask for in return is that you give your hand to someone else. Simple things like that, right? I think we've forgotten what it's like to give before you take. So that to me is the mindset that I come in when I think about kindness and you know, being kind to yourself. You can only be kind to others if you're kind to yourself first, right? Put on your own oxygen mask before you can, you can put on someone else. So when people don't take care of themselves, that's when it leads to being unkind because you have insecurities, you have anxiety, and there's so many ways to sort of feel good about yourself and be fulfilled and productive. So um, I'd like you to create a recipe for courage for people to experiment and try out. What do you think are some of the ingredients in the recipe for courage? What are some of the things that are important? I think spending time with yourself first. I think a lot of people are afraid mm -hmm. to be alone with themselves. Um, and would you would you call that solitude or quiet time? How would you um, summarize that as a word? I would say quiet time. Okay. Take a walk. Take a walk in nature. Simple things. The impact of I go for a walk every morning with my little guy, my minister poodle Charlie, who's my coworker and my cheerleader. You know, as I've been been building this, and going out and being connected to the energy of nature feeds you. Yes. You may not directly see that, but it does. Just try it. And when I go for a walk, um, I listen to something that inspires me uh, or I learn from, right? Or just take your headphones up, just walk and take a deep breath. Simple things like that, right? Because that feeds you. It connects you to who you really are because I think the world, the way it has been going for the last couple of years, we are just giving away our energy. And when you give away your energy without refueling, you get lost. That's when I think mental health issues hit. I do believe that that's what happened to me when I was burnt out. I was not spending enough time with myself. I was reading, I would read books. I'm a great you know, mystery fan, Agatha Christie. It's like those, that genre of, it's, it's just something that, that fuels me. But the quiet time, the contemplation, the introspection, not letting your mind run away with the, the fear, right, of what could happen, what could happen wrong. I do believe nature gives you that energy. We're all connected. We're all energy systems in the end, right? Human beings, um, you know, creatures like dogs and cats and, and trees. Go out, spend some time. Carve out time for yourself. So I made it a rule three years ago where boundaries, I think you talk about that as well, right? Having boundaries that say, um, I know how much I want to work. And my work is a joy to me because it doesn't feel like work. 
but I have boundaries that say I will eat, sleep, meditate, exercise, and rest. Those are the other recipes that really help lift you. So you can have that courage. Only when you're feeling well, can you do the best design of uh, whatever you do in your work, right? If you're not feeling good, how will you give anybody anything? So the steps I would say is, if you're feeling like you're trapped, you feel like you don't know what's the first step, go outside, I promise you, that energy refueling that you get, do it for three days. Just humor me, do it for three days. At the end of it, see how you feel. See the thoughts that come in your mind. Think about the problem that looked like it was unsurmountable or it felt like your life was over. Look at it again. You will look at it from a different dimension. I guarantee it. It, it, it happened to me. And it's about not letting our minds control us. It's about really letting, you may call it whatever, your soul, your spirit, whatever it is. That's really who we are. That's our energy. Let your energy speak. Because I think it's been silenced when we live in the world and we give too much away. That's how I tend to think of it. Yeah, I think we do a lot of consumption and less contribution. Okay, so um, you encourage people to go for three days then, go outside in nature, go for a walk, um, either in silence or listen to something inspirational. And it, it changes you, your mind. Yeah, and do you think they should do this in the morning, the afternoon, the evening? So I think it's following your circadian rhythm. So I... I'm a big fan of masterclass.com. I've been, I've had been a member for about a year and a half now, and there is uh, something on sleep. And what I did not know is that each of us humans have our own natural circadian rhythm. So I, for example, cannot sleep past six, six thirty. I just feel awful. Like I have to get up. Um, there are other folks in my family, my kids, uh, you know, my mom, I, some people want to sleep later because they do their best work later. So you have to assess and not force yourself to do something that's not in rhythm to your natural circadian rhythm and make sure you sleep, right? So find the time where you feel like you're at the top of the world, your best energy to focus on reading or writing, write a lot. I started writing and speaking because the more you share, your energy and your ideas that's coming from that place within you, the more you realize there are things that I, I think about that I say, well, I don't know how I came up with that. I literally don't know, but they were things that were connecting in sleep. So sleep is a beautiful way to do your best work. Um, uh, actually, the, the, uh, I think it was Azim Azar in, in Exponentials, like how do people come up with these ideas? They actually harness sleep to come up with their best work. I thought it was fascinating. So spending time with yourself is also getting to know how you are wired. When do you sleep and you wake up refreshed? If you're sleeping at a time and you're waking up going, I feel, I feel, I feel awful, you're off your circadian rhythm. So you can test it, simple things, go to bed later, early, just test and see, you'll find it. You don't need any fancy tech, anything like that. You'll know on the inside how you feel, right? So go for a walk. 
at midnight. I don't care if that's the time that you need that quiet time. Just make sure you wear a vest that you know people can see you. Don't want anybody getting hurt. You know, little caveat there. If it's morning, if it's afternoon, just pick it. You find it. If you truly want to find it, the answers will come to you, guaranteed. Okay, so without good sleep and also and being energized and perhaps connecting with nature, it's about this nourishment and Correct. being refueled to have, you know, to have the energy to be courageous then. You know, because when, when we need to be courageous, um, if we're tired, hungry, and we don't know what to say in that moment, perhaps we're going to struggle. That's right. You're, you're, you're the most vulnerable when you are not refueled in many ways. Right? The fueling comes from your energy, comes from sleep, comes from food, nourishing food. Eat whole food. The energy in those foods is what we consume. If you're going to eat processed foods, they're dead. They are toxic. They have nothing to offer you but the taste in the taste buds, right? Something that is closest to nature that you consume. So that's food. So you got sleep, you got food, you got rest. If your body is telling you that you need to rest, take rest. Whether you're a mom, whether you're a dad, whether you're, you know, an elderly, it doesn't really matter. Your body will tell you, listen to it and just rest, right? Exercise, do not overtrain. I've done a lot of overtraining. I, I'm not an athlete, but I'm, <laughs> I've learned to be an athlete in my mindset and my physicality. Um, I recently bought a rowing machine, Hydro, which I think is, is, is a fantastic system they've created. So they have Olympic athletes that train you, you know, on your screen while you're on it. And the way they speak about these things, about fueling themselves, they nourish as well. Because as you can imagine, Olympic athletes, if anybody need that nourishment. So I learn a lot from uh, athletes that share with everybody what it takes for them to have courage to compete. And it's the same formula because you know what? They're human too. Right, so sleeping, eating, nourishing food, resting, exercising, meditating. So meditation is not the same as, you know, going out and just talking to somebody. Meditating is literally sitting very quietly and very still and watching as your thoughts go in. So, you know, letting your thoughts just go without you grabbing onto it. That's where I learned about meditation is I'm going to be courageous to let those thoughts of doubt and fear and anxiety, you know, what's, oh my God, what's going to happen? You know, am I going to get this project or not? Oh, you know, is my son going to get into this uh, for all these things, right? Let it go. Let it float by like clouds, right? There's tons of, you know, meditation apps and stuff, but I found the simplest one is just sit down. If you like to light a lamp, if you like to light, you know, um, an incense, it doesn't matter. Whatever your senses can take in to calm down, do it. If it's sitting in a dark room, you know, 10 years ago when I was at the height of just anxiety, I, I, I couldn't deal with everything that was going on. I'd go sit in my room, shut the light off and just sit on my bed and just do nothing. I just, I couldn't take it because I was trying to be a mom and work and commute and 
do lots of things, it it sucks the energy out of you. So refuel, center yourself. Write the word equanimity, look it up, <laughs> post it on your screen. Make sure you don't forget. Wear something that brings you to a point that you teach yourself when you are sitting still. Right? A lot of people cannot sit still. I did not know that. Yeah. I have a friend who's just, she just bounces off all the time and she has a lot of caffeine, but I go, okay. She doesn't drink, she doesn't do anything else, but she just cannot sense, sit still. I said, you're going to sit still and we're not going to talk. You're going to be quiet. It impacts people because this is energy that needs to always come out. Harness it another way. Go exercise. When you exercise, you are using up that pent-up energy. Why do you think dogs want to need to go for a walk? If you don't walk them, they go crazy. Yes. Right? Then they're doing all sorts of stuff. Humans are like that too. You got to expend the energy in a positive way. And so what would you name this recipe? What would you call this dish? I would call this... Uh, let's see, we talked about courage. So we're talking about courage, right? It's going to yeah. be something around that. So this is a recipe for courage. Um, but yes. what, what's, what, what would we like to call this? What, what's the title of this recipe? I would say fuel you. Okay. Nice. Right. Fuel, the courage fuel them. You know, like how you fuel cars? Mm-hmm. Something so fuel, like fuel yourself. Fuel yourself. Not fool with, yourself. Fuel. Okay. Not fool yourself. <laughs> okay. Fuel up with courage. Okay, I like that. And um, do you have? I mean, you've shared a lot of wisdom. Do you have any other tips? Anything else simple for people to practice? Pick one person to be kind to every day. Mm -hmm. Doesn't matter who it is. Be total stranger be someone in your life just go out no matter what you're doing you know have a conversation with uh, uh um you know a barista at the coffee shop ask them how they're doing ask them how they could help you how you can help them rather that's the first thing i always talk to folks and i go is it anything i can do to help you again just give simple things your time your space your energy when you share it grows bigger. You fuel when you share. Yeah, and that takes courage sometimes to talk to people that we don't know. That's right. So that's great, but if you believe it in really yourself. simple, but really quite, um, you know, so I encourage people to try out that tip. Um, yeah. Is there anything else you'd like to share before we finish this podcast? Anything else you want the listeners to know about, to contact you about? I say thank you for being here. Harpa, I am really blessed to have met you because once again, I asked the universe, how am I going to inject kindness and empathy? And the universe presented you to me. So I really thank you. I appreciate you and the work that you do. And I'm really excited for all the research that we're going to be doing together to develop this. And if anybody, any of the listeners, if you want to connect with me, send me a LinkedIn. I'm happy to connect, Jyoti Balani. Um, I'm on Instagram as well, and I'm happy to talk to anyone, you know, if you want to have, you know, a quick virtual coffee, happy to do that. Okay, thank you so much, Jyoti. Um, you know, it's been, I'm so glad I've had you on the podcast. I think again, I might ask you again. Thank next you for year. having me.
Um, so thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you for your time listening to the Kindness Chef podcast and sitting with us to learn more about ways you can serve kindness to yourself and others to nourish your mind, body and soul. If you'd like to find out more, go to www.kindnesschef.com where you can join a free community for this podcast, where you can learn more about serving kindness to yourself and others. And also, if you're a female entrepreneur or leader who is ready to be part of an online community to master being kinder together, find out more information for a new program that's launching in January 2022. Thank you.